debts and all the cares and all the things that we came in the door with. Let's just lay it all down at the altar. And uh, let's just clear our minds and, and so that God can minister to us. I don't know about you, but I need him to minister to me tonight. Even though I'm the one up here speaking, I still need God to minister to me. And so let's pray together, bind our faith together as a body. Father, we love you tonight. We praise you tonight. We thank you tonight, Lord Jesus, for your love, for your mercy, for your grace for your excellent goodness and greatness and your mighty power and your outstretched arm, O God, your faithfulness to us. Thank you, Father, for this great salvation, for your blood. Thank you for your name, O God. Thank you for the cross of Calvary. Thank you for taking those stripes for us, O God. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father, for your peace that passes all understanding, Father. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that you give us in the midst of trials, uh, in the midst of tests, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of sickness, uh, and, oh, God, and all the things uh, that you uh, require for us to go through for your glory, Lord Jesus. Uh, we desire more than anything, oh, God, to be willing vessels, oh, God, unto you tonight. Uh, each one of us, oh, God, is precious in your sight tonight, Lord Jesus. Jesus, Lord, you would not have any, oh God, you would not do anything, oh God, to cause us to walk away. But everything that you allow into our life is for our good and for your glory tonight, oh God. You're working all things together for our good and for your glory, Lord Jesus. Oh, we love you and we thank you for loving us and giving yourself for us tonight. Oh God, I plead the blood of Jesus over every soul, every heart uh, in this place and online tonight uh, in the name of Jesus and over my mind and my mouth, uh, Lord Jesus, that you would cause me to speak uh, what thus saith the Lord tonight in the name of Jesus. Uh, I thank you, Father, for the souls of this city. I thank you for a burden, oh God. I thank you for faith. I thank you for your love. I thank you, Lord. And we praise you. We honor you. We bless you. We exalt you and we magnify you and we glorify you. Oh, for you're worthy of all the praise, oh God. You're worthy of all the glory. You're worthy of all the honor, Lord Jesus. I want you to know, Father, that I love you tonight. I love you from deep within my heart and my soul tonight, oh God. I don't want to just give you empty words, oh God. From my heart, oh God, I want you to know that I love you tonight and I worship you tonight, and I praise you tonight. Lord, we honor and we bless your name tonight. Oh, Jesus, we enter in, oh God, to your presence. We invite your presence, your manifestation, oh God, in this place. Manifest your power. Manifest your spirit. Manifest your angels. Manifest your glory. Lord Jesus, and in us and through us and among us today. Lord, show forth your your greatness and your power, Lord Jesus. Your healings and your miracles, O God. Let it, that signs follow believers tonight. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. 
Hallelujah, Lord Jesus. Uh, we bind the enemy tonight, oh God, in every attempt uh, that he might try to make to disrupt, oh God, uh, what is being spoken tonight. Uh, oh, give us, oh God, give us our hearts uh, and our minds, oh God. Uh, Lord Jesus, let them be cleared, oh God, so that we can receive, oh God. Uh, hallelujah. Give us ears to hear, Lord. Uh, give us eyes to see, a mind to receive, uh, and to comprehend and to understand what is the length and breadth and height and depth of your power and your glory, Lord Jesus, your plan, your purpose, and your will. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Holy God, holy God. Hallelujah. They did this for hours. They did this for hours, Brother Becker, on Azusa Street. And if you read about the Welsh Revival, they, they would... That young preacher would go from church to city, and they would just pray and pray and pray and pray for hours. They didn't know what the baptism of the Holy Ghost was. They didn't know any of this. But they would just pray and wait on God. And then all of a sudden, that young man would start preaching, and whatever he said was straight from heaven. And results, there there were, if you read about the Welsh Revival, there were entire cities where where the bars, the jet, everything shut down because nobody was in the bars. And so because nobody was in the bars, nobody was in jail. They were all in the house of God. And there's a story about Rochester, New York, that that happened several years ago. And they say that Rochester, New York, in the United States, is one of the best places in this country to live. And they and it believed to be attributed to the fact that two men went and prayed for that city until God broke things in that city. And they weren't even apostolic. Why are you saying all this, Brother DeMuth? <laughs> I don't know. Well, I do know. So we're we're going to continue with this lesson, but we're going to by the by the end of tonight's lesson, we're going to be talking about prayer. Because what we have today in this day and age came about because somebody prayed. And they didn't just pray a, now I lay me down to sleep prayer. They didn't pray a, Lord bless this food prayer. They prayed. They prayed. And they prayed. And they prayed. Those early years in Pentecost in the early 1900s, that's the only reason they had revival. That's the only reason they had results was because they prayed. Hallelujah. We're talking about being laborers together with God. Amen? 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 through 9. And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, 
He's talking to church people. So carnality is not being worldly in the sense of being a sinner. You can be, you can have the Holy Ghost, be baptized in Jesus' name and be carnal. Right? It, it is right. You can be carnal. You can have, you can think about things carnally in your flesh and not think about things in a spiritual sense. And that's what he was telling the church at Corinth. For ye are yet carnal, for as there is among you envying. We don't have any of that here. Do we? That's a rhetorical question. Answer it to yourself. We don't have any strife here either, do we? Or divisions or, or any of that? And, and But he's telling the church at Corinth, are you not carnal and walk as men? We all deal with it, don't we? We sure do. For while one saith, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? They, they totally missed the point of why Paul and Apollos were there. They were trying to be followers of men. And Paul was admonishing them to stop it. We're not here for you to follow us. And when, who then is Paul and who then is Apollos? And I'll try to stop stopping in the middle of all this. But ministers, everybody say ministers, by whom we ye believe, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, or neither is he that watereth anything. If God's using you, don't get all puffed up in your head about it. He's just using you as a vessel. Be thankful that you are being counted worthy to be used of God for his glory for that moment. Because he might raise you up one minute and set you down the next. And raise somebody else up. That's his business. But God that giveth the increase, now he that planteth and he that watereth are one. It's a team. Paul and Apollos didn't do it individual from each other. They worked together. Every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. You are God's husbandry. You're God's building. And in the last few weeks, we've discussed he won't do this without us. He could do it without us, but he won't. He never has. From the beginning of time, we talked about from Adam till now, God has used the agency of man to fulfill his will on the earth. He used Noah to build a boat and to pray over some people. He, I could just go on and on. He used Joseph. He used, he used all these people. He used uh, Mordecai. He used all these people to fulfill and to bring about his will. Esther told Mordecai for the Jewish people to pray and fast. But she was about to do a thing that was potentially going to cost her her life right there on the spot. And what did Mordecai say to her before she made that decision? How do you know if you're not here, right here, right now, at this very moment for such a time as this? 
And that can be said of anybody in this room. We are here in 2021 at this moment, at this time, in this place, in this city for such a time as this. How do you know that God's not going to use you for something great like he did for her? You don't. But you better be ready. Because there could come a moment one day where he calls on you just like he did her and says, you need to step up. So God's not going to do this without us. And so we talked about how that we are co-laborers with God. We talked about the great co-mission. God has a mission. He has a purpose for all of this. He created the earth. He created man because he needed somebody to love. And so he created us. To love him back so he could love us. And he, he went to all the trouble of, of, of coming to this earth as a man so that we would have a way back. So that we wouldn't have to sacrifice animals anymore. So that we wouldn't have to do all the stuff that, that they had to do to just keep pushing the sin forward. He became that spotless lamb. But even Jesus told his disciples constantly, I'm not always going to be here, guys. You need to pay attention. You need to listen. I'm trying to teach you something because there's going to come a day. Anybody ever said someday? Just about anything. Anybody ever done that? Someday or one of these days, right? One of these days, I'll get to that project whatever it is i'm going to fix that plumbing one of these days i'm going to i'll get out there and clean that garage one of these days honey well one all of a sudden one day that day comes she's standing there with her arms folded and tapping her foot going today is that day amen man right and so to so God is, there's, Jesus was telling them, there's coming a day when I'm not going to be here. They didn't get it. They didn't, weren't listening. They didn't understand it until he went to the cross. And then to some extent, they kind of still didn't get it. Right? Because we talked about they went to an upper room and Jesus had to go in that upper, that room and, and upbraid them with their unbelief. And then he told them to go. He gave them that co-mission. He, he lived his life before them. He walked up to sinners. He walked up to blind people. He walked up to, to lepers and touched them and healed. He just did all that stuff to show them this is what I want you to do. Go down and do likewise. And then what did he say? All this stuff that I've done, you're going to do. But you're going to do even greater stuff than, than stuff I've done. We're going to do greater things than Jesus did. Why? Because we're co-laborers on a co-mission. What's God's mission? Jesus said it, to seek and to save that which was lost. Who does that disclude? Does that disclude anybody? Except for this group over here. Right? Except for this color of people over here. 
except for this cultural group over here. No, it, it's for everybody. Right? For this, for this gospel is what? To whomsoever will, right? As many as the Lord our God shall call. Is he leaving anybody out, Sister Linda? No. But we got, he's calling everybody. He loves everybody. But, you know, I, you have to receive love. Isn't that true? You have to receive love. I can give love all day long, but if you don't receive it, I'm just wasting my breath and wasting my time. So God, we have to receive his love, and then we have to turn around and love him back. Is that right? So, he's not going to do it without us. We're his co-laborers. We're on a co-mission with him. And so in our role as a co-laborer with God, he is the primary. Because remember we talked about being in the yoke. When you're in the yoke, when you're the ox in the yoke, and you're the young ox and the old ox is on the other side, you're on that side of the yoke to learn. What did Jesus say? Take my yoke upon you and, what is it? Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your souls because why? Because his yoke is what? Easy. And his burden is... So if we feel burdened and weighed down, we're not under his yoke then, are we? We're putting it on ourselves. So when he says that we are laborers together with him, that doesn't mean we get to have a say. Yeah, I'm a co-laborer, God, but you know, if we did it this way, we don't, it doesn't work like that. You and I were grafted in. We were made partakers of the divine nature. We got to receive a portion of His Spirit in us and all the power and glory and all of the Everything that comes with that. But we still are subject to God's will in that role as a co-laborer. We're called to be laborers together with God. We're commanded to be as laborers to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to every creature. Right? And we're, we are We're commanded to go forth and show the love of God. You know, having the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost. Thank God somebody prayed for me. Thank God somebody had a burden that they didn't understand either. Because it wasn't in their flesh and in their human nature to pray for people, but God put something in them, and they just prayed, and they didn't know maybe they were even praying for me, but somebody prayed. Because I came to a revelation. And I attribute that to somebody somewhere praying. Because we just, nobody really in this room, if you think you did, you didn't. You didn't just come to God on your own. You didn't just wake up one day and say, I think I'll go serve God today. You didn't. 
You might think you did. But something was happening in the background. Spiritually, somebody was praying for you. Because when you're blind, spiritually, you don't know it. Do you? You remember being there? I thought I was okay. There was some in here I've heard say that when they were in the, some other religious experience, they thought, I'm fine. I don't need anything else. It's all good. I go to church every Sunday. I'm, I'm doing all the right stuff. And like I heard one guy say, doing all the do's and not doing all the don'ts. Right? But it's not about that. So what else did the disciples, believers, and followers of Jesus do to reach this world? We're going to talk about that. Acts 2, 41 to 42 says this, Then they that gladly received his word, everybody in here gladly received it? Nobody made you do it. Now, I, I know there's people, I know people that said they were gripping the pew with everything they had, and they were turning their knuckles white before they finally gave up and went to the altar and got the Holy Ghost. But when they did, it was like, wow, what took me so long? So not, not everybody just comes running up here. We all have, we all have to get to God on our own. He draws us, but we gotta make the final decision. It's our choice. So they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day they were added unto them about three thousand souls. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. They continued steadfastly in those things. In the Apostles' Doctrine, which was, we know what that is, right? That's a whole other Bible study. And fellowship, that's not just eating food. That's part of it, but that's not just what that's talking about. And in breaking of bread, and in prayer. The Amplified Bible in verse 42 says that they were continually and faithfully devoting themselves to the instructions of the apostles and to fellowship, to eating meals together, and to prayers. Continually and faithfully devoting themselves. Are we devoted to those things, or do we have our own agenda? That's what we have to ask ourselves. That word, continually, steadfastly, in the complete word study Bible dictionary says, used metaphorically of steadfastness and faithfulness in the outgoings of the Christian life, especially in prayer. Because the church that they all just became a part of, how did it come about? What did Jesus tell that group? Go ye and tarry into the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power. From on high. So that word tarry, part some definitions mean to go stand. You think they just stood around for ten days? Or however long it was? No. They didn't. Church to the new believers in that time was a very public thing. Church was who they were, not what they where they met or what they did. It was who they were. It wasn't some sort of organized religion. It was totally and contrary to the religious. It was really contrary to the religious tradition of the Jews. They always went to the synagogue. They always had routines and rituals and things that they did. And 
when Jesus came along, he broke that mold. And everything just went south after that. And that's what, that's what aggravated the Jews so much because every, all the tradition was gone away. They were just meeting from house to house, just wherever the Spirit led them. They were just going. They didn't have to go to the building anymore. And so what they, that's what they did. We read that. They took their fellowship to the streets. They went out. They went from house to house. If we remember the Lord, we read about this a couple weeks ago. The Lord led Paul to the house of justice that was right next to or hard to the synagogue. And what, what happened right before that is Paul was trying to reach those people in the synagogue. He was trying, and he was reaching some of them. Quietly in the background, they were agreeing with him. They were just not doing it publicly. And so when he reached a point where he's like, okay, they're not listening, he just kind of washed his hands of the whole deal. And he said, I'm going to go out here and, and reach the Gentiles. And he walked right out the door, and God said, stop at that house right there. And there was justice, and it was just like a Cornelius moment, justice in his house. He had gathered a whole bunch of people in his house. So it wasn't just justice. So God knew what he was doing. When he sent Paul there, it didn't. At first, it didn't make sense. Why am I beating beating a dead horse here in the synagogue? And then God just stopped him at one point and said, just "Wash your hands of that and go out the door. You, you've said what you need to say. They've heard it. It's on them now, right?" So Jesus, most of his ministry was done where. In the streets, on the road, on the road, he met Zacchaeus. On the road, he met Bartimaeus. On the road or somewhere out in public, he met the lady with the issue of blood, the woman that was brought to him in the act of adultery. And all these things, the woman at the well, the demoniac, it was all out in public. wasn't in a building. He didn't make them come where he was. He went where the need was. That's what he's, that's what we're expected to do as fellow laborers and laborers together with God. Satan didn't stop working because a few believers got full of the Holy Ghost. Did he? That same case today? He still, <laughs> just because you get the Holy Ghost and get baptized and you've been in church all your life, does that mean he's going to leave you alone? I, me personally, I, I start getting a little worried when nothing's happening and, and I'm not being messed with and things aren't going wrong in my life because I'm starting to think maybe I'm, maybe I get, got in a comfortable place and maybe the devil's just letting me sit there and ride. <laughs> I don't want to get to that place. Nothing. You read about Paul's life and all these, these apostles, nothing about their life was comfortable at all. Paul, Paul, Paul had about the same life Jesus did. He hardly ever slept except for when they had him in jail. That was the only time he got to get a rest. And then he didn't rest. What did he do? He wrote letters. Because he was constantly thinking about ministry. I gotta say one more thing. I, I, oh wait, God told me this. I gotta tell him one more thing. I gotta write this letter. Because they need it, because they, the people need to be encouraged, and, and they need to know that they don't need to be doing this milk thing. They need to do meat. Paul was, he was serious. 
Wasn't he? And God was allowing all of that. And when we suffer persecution for the sake of the gospel, the Bible says we're going to. All who live godly in Christ Jesus shall what? Suffer persecution. Shall. Not might. Shall. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12, Paul wrote this, but thou hast fully known, or he, you, you have held on, held nothing back, my, you've fully known my doctrine, you've held nothing back. My manner of life, and purpose, and faith, and long-suffering, and charity, and patience, and, and you've known my persecutions, my afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, and at Iconium, and Lystra. And these are, if you think about that for a minute, that was all the places that the Holy Ghost told him to go. And yet he got persecuted while he was there doing the will of God. Being a fellow laborer. What persecutions I endured. He endured them. He acknowledged that they were coming. And when they came, he endured them. He said it right here. But out of them all. The Lord delivered me. Paul didn't deliver himself. He didn't sit down and with a pen and a legal pad and try to work it out and work his way out of it. He didn't try to come up with a way to get around the persecution. He didn't pray, God, get me out of this mess. Why can't you send me somewhere where it's comfortable? He didn't pray that. At least I don't find that he prayed that. So do you think the persecution was part of the package? Does God always tell you everything you're going to go through when he's asked you to go somewhere or to do something for him? No way. Why? Because he knows your nature. If he told you all the details, you would he would find you running in the other direction. There was a guy in the Bible that did that. Wasn't there? What was his name? Uh-huh. You know, he wouldn't have ever had to take a ride in a whale. You can call it whatever you want, fish or whale. He would have never had to do that if he had just listened to God and did what he said to do. But, you know, God has a way of convincing us that it's better to do his will than your will. He just has a way. He does. He has a way. Yea, and all who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution, just like I did. Paul's saying, just like I did. Welcome to the club. If I'm going through it and Jesus went through it, you're going to go through it. And those people that were persecuted that we read about in the New Testament, when they came out of the judgment hall, what did they say? They counted it themselves worthy. To have suffered for the name of Jesus, for the sake of the name of Jesus, would we be willing to suffer? Because, folks, we are laborers together with God. That's part of the package. So, one of the things, here we go, one of the things that new believers were faithful in was prayer. 
And there's a reason why. Acts 1, 13 through 14 says, And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew and James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon Zelotes, and Judas, the brother of James. Verse 14, These all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brethren. What does that mean? They continued with one accord in prayer. To me, what that means is they didn't pray for five minutes. They prayed like they prayed on Azusa Street. They prayed for hours and hours, and that's all they did. You talk to any any anybody in this organization like if GA Mangan was alive, you could talk you could probably go talk to Sister Mangan, she could tell you. The stories, the people that went to these cities and they did nothing. They didn't knock on a door. They didn't call anybody. They didn't hand out one tract. They fasted and prayed over that city until they felt a release from God to go do something. And when they felt a release to go do something, the minute they stepped foot on that, God just started giving them the ground. And we look at the church and Alexandria, Louisiana today, and we, we just don't, we don't know the history. That started in somebody's living room. That started in it with a man that just believed in prayer. The only way he's going to reach that, you know, that city was in prayer. Why? Because somewhere along the line, somebody figured out prayer worked. Our, all of our efforts are, are in vain. We don't pray. The new believers were praying when Paul was persecuting them. And truthfully, the prayer that they prayed got results. Now, I don't, I've tried to find it, Brother Becker, but I don't know exactly what they were praying. But I know me. If I was in that group of people that was being persecuted, and a guy like Paul was doing what he was doing, just breaking into people's houses and dragging them off and throwing them in prison and killing them. My prayer would have been, God, you got to do something about that guy. Right? Anybody else would have prayed like that? God, do whatever you got to do. Your will be done. Get, get Paul. We're just... There was probably some spiritual people praying other stuff, but for the most part, they were praying, God, we know that this is your will, but you got to do something about this guy. He's killing us. And so God honored their prayer. Because you got to be specific. If you say, do something about him, you don't, you're not specific. God's going to do what his will is. What was God's will? Uh, I'm going to make him one of you. And that guy Ananias that had to go talk to him, he's like, God, don't you know? He's that one. He said, don't worry about it, Ananias. I got this. Just go do what I said. Right? Because we believe in prayer, and then when when the results happen, then we're like, not how I thought it would happen. Because in their mind, they were telling God, here's what you got to do, God, to get rid of this guy. Do we pray like that? I bet we do. 
God, if I were you, we might not say those words, but this is how I'd do it. Or we think in our mind, if I was God, in this situation here, this is how exactly how I'd do it. And it never, he never does it the way we think, ever. Why? Because <laughs> he don't want us getting the glory for anything. It's all about him. So the 3,000 were added on the day of Pentecost because a room full of people prayed. Did they know what to pray for? No. They just knew that Jesus said they were going to receive the promise of the Father. Did they know what that was? Nope. But I don't know about you, but if that would have been, if I would have been in that group, I would have said, folks, we need to go pray. We don't know what this is going to feel like, smell like, act like, but he promised it. And it's coming. So the believers learned early on that prayer was a tool that God gave them to bring about His will on the earth. Amen? Acts 12, 1 through 11. Now about the time Herod, about that time Herod the king stretched forth his hands to vex certain of the church. You feel like that's happening today? It is happening today. There's politicians out there that just want to vex the church, the Christians, because they think that we're the big problem. And he killed James, the brother of John, with a sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, oh, those, those people are happy when we persecute those Christians. Let's go do it again. Is that going to happen? And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to take Peter also. Well, if it, if I got that kind of a, an applause out of James, maybe let's see what will happen if I get Peter. God's always in charge, by the way. So he proceeded to take Peter also. Then were the days of unleavened bread. And when he had apprehended him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four quaternions of soldiers to keep him intending after Easter, after the Passover, to bring him forth to the people. Do you think God worked that into the, the deal? God had him arrested at just the right time so that he would be, have to wait in jail until after Easter because God had a plan. Peter, therefore, was kept in, in prison, but prayer was made without ceasing of the church unto God for him. Prayer without ceasing. What kind of prayer do you think that was? What kind of prayer? They weren't just praying, lay me down to sleep prayers. That was, that was intercession. That was travail. That was prayer. That was a prayer meeting. Anybody ever been in a good old fashioned prayer meeting like that? That's what they were doing. And it says here that they, without ceasing, they, they skipped breakfast, they skipped lunch, they skipped, they weren't intending to fast, they were just so busy praying for Peter because they knew, well, they just killed James and he's next. And when Herod would have brought him forth, the same night Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and the keepers before the door kept the prison. No way out, right? 
No way out of that situation. He had guards on top of guards and two of them sleeping next to him, one on either side, and he was in chains. And behold, the angel of the Lord came unto him and upon him, and, and a light shined in the prison, and he smote Peter on the side and raised him up, saying, Arise up quickly, and his chains fell off his hands. Could that happen today? It has happened. I heard a testimony once about a guy they were baptizing in a prison, inside the prison, and they got him a tub to baptize the guy in inside the prison, and they wouldn't take his handcuffs or his feet shackles off, so they they kind of walked him down in there to baptize him, and when he came up out of the water, lifted his hands to receive the Holy Ghost, everything fell off, and the guards were freaking out. How did that just happen? You think that won a few more people? Absolutely. That does happen today. Was the preacher expecting that? Probably not. But it happened. God, he can do this stuff right now. And the angel said unto him, Gird thyself and bind on thy sandals. And so he did. And, and he saith unto him, Cast thy garment about thee and follow me. And he, sent, and he went out and followed him and wist not that it was true which was done by the angel, but thought he saw a vision. This, is, this isn't real. This isn't happening. I'm just dreaming this. I'm having a, a dream that I'm getting out of jail. Because it wasn't like jail here. It was a bad place back then. And he went out and followed him and wist not. I already read that. And when they were past the first and second ward and came unto the iron gate that leadeth into the city, which opened to them of its own accord, they went out and passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel disappeared from him. And when Peter was come to himself, he said, Now I know of a surety that the Lord hath sent his angel and hath delivered me out of the hand of Herod and from the expectation of the people of the Jews. Wow. Even Peter had his doubts until the moment that that whole situation was over and he realized, wait, this isn't a dream. I really am out of jail. I'm I'm standing on dirt. I'm outside the gate. This is this is awesome. And prayer was an integral part. One of the main tools that in the hand of the co laborers. <laughs> and what happened in that story is he went and knocked on the door of the house where they were praying, and that girl Rhoda came to the door and said, Hey, she didn't even let him in. Back and said, "Hey, Peter's at the door. Oh, you must be mad. It's his spirit." She went back, and he was still. Hey, it's Peter. Finally, she lets him in. Now, those people that were praying, Sister Becker, they had faith because it said that they they were praying without ceasing. They were believing that their prayer was going to make a difference in Peter's life. But I think I think they believed it up to a point. They weren't really sure. But isn't it that way with us when we pray? We, we want to believe that God's going to do it, but we're not really sure if he's going to. But we just want to, we just want to believe we have enough faith that God's going to do whatever. Because we know that the book says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
doesn't avail everything, but it does avail much. And so even those believers who were praying and having a prayer meeting and interceding and travailing for Peter, when they when he finally came, when the answer came knocking on the door, they were like, no, it's his spirit. These fellow laborers. And so Peter had to come in there and go, stop praying, everybody. Prayer's been answered. It's amazing. He needs us, if I say us, he needs us to pray his will into existence on the earth. That's why he told the disciples when they asked him to teach them to pray, here's how I want you to pray. Say, our Father, acknowledge him as our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, one one version of that in, in one of the, the Gospels says, as in earth, as in heaven, so in earth. Because God's, in the way God thinks and the way God does, it's already been done in heaven. He's already purposed it. It's already a done deal. Because he knows the end from the beginning, the beginning from the ending, right? And so when we pray that, we're, we're praying something that's already been done. But he needs us to pray that. It was the will of God for Peter to be delivered from prison, but somebody had to pray that. Does that make sense? I know it's not supposed to make sense, but you get what I mean. So how do we do that? How do we pray his will into existence? Well, part of that is learning to know his voice. Because he'll tell us when to pray. Pony. Sister Linda, he'll tell us not only when to pray, but what to pray for. I'll never forget, God just came over me. We were praying with a bunch of young people in Okinawa, and all of a sudden this just overwhelming feeling came over me to just just intercede and travail. No names or anything. And I was on my face on the floor, and I don't know how long I was there, but it, it didn't lift for a while. And so I just let it happen, and I just prayed. And the next morning... A couple came, called and needed a ride to church. And this couple that came to the church had planned on committing suicide that Saturday night. And we knew that because when we, we took them down to the East China Sea and baptized them in Jesus' name, and they both received the Holy Ghost, and his wife was Catholic and never had anything to do with this. He was a backslidden Pentecostal. They stood up and testified, and he pulled the razor blades out of his wallet and said, we were going to do this deal last night. But God stopped us. And immediately when he said that, I thought, that's what he had me praying about Saturday afternoon. That was them. It, it all came, it was like, it all came clear. <laughs> I'm still getting chill bumps over that. <laughs> so you never know when God's going to ask you to pray and he might not even tell you who it's for. It might be somebody clear across the ocean. But you better be ready to hear his voice and pray when he tells you to pray. Right? And don't stop till he lets that lift and release. And I believe that's what they were doing with Peter. They were still deep in a prayer meeting when he walked in the door. That's a prayer meeting right there. Romans eight twenty six and 27. Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities. The Greek word there for helpeth is to help in work, to co 
operate. There's that word co again. We just call it cooperate, but I like to put a hyphen in there and call it co-operate. He's co-operating with us. He's operating through us. We're, we're exercising faith that he gave us. And we're listening to his voice and saying what he, praying what he said to pray, and that's what gets results. So likewise, the Spirit helpeth our infirmities. And then there's a colon there, and I've learned recently that when there's a colon, whatever comes after the colon explains what happened, what was said before the colon. Okay? The little two dots, the colon. So he's, he's explaining what the infirmities are. For we know not what we should pray for as we ought. That's what our infirmity is. We don't, we don't always know what to pray for. Anybody else besides me? You go through your list, and then you just kind of, okay, now what do I do? And so it says here, but the Spirit maketh, itself maketh intercession for us with groanings that cannot be uttered. Anybody ever prayed in the Spirit where you don't even know what you're saying? You're just praying in tongues, and you don't know what you're saying, but that's what you feel to do, And but God's praying through you. That's what it says right here. It's the Spirit showing us what to pray for and praying through us. When we've exhausted all of our human effort, we let the Spirit take over. Am I saying, am I okay? Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong. And he's, and he that searcheth the hearts, no man knows his heart, does he? The heart is desperately wicked in one place it says in the Old Testament, who can know it? So, you can't know your heart, sorry. Me either. So he that searcheth the heart knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for his saints according to the will of God. We are co-laboring with him in prayer. He could bypass us and just go do it, sister. But he doesn't. He could have just gone into Alexandria and won all those people without G.A. Mangan and his wife. But he didn't. He sent them there and he told them to pray. And don't stop praying until I tell you. And that man obeyed that. And they're still having revival down there. They're still having great revival. I don't know if you've ever been to Alexandria, Louisiana. It's not much bigger than La Crosse if, if it's that big. It's not a great big city. But the impact that that church has had around the world, because one man and his wife went and prayed, until God said, I've given you this city. Go get them. Amen? Ephesians 6, 10 through 20. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Not in your own self. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You can't stand against the wiles of the devil without the whole armor of God, can you? Don't try it. He is the prince of the power of the air. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against the spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. Why? That you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand, once again, you better have the armor of God if you're going to go after 
I mean, we shouldn't go after the devil, but if you're gonna, if you're gonna go into that kind of prayer, you better have the armor of God protecting you. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having on the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace and above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you may, you shall be able, shall, sorry, not may, shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, colon. There we go. All that armor for what reason? Praying. The very next word is praying. Isn't that great? Praying. Co-laborers, co-workers, and we are fellow laborers, fellow workers with God. And he's telling us what we need to do right here. Praying always with all prayer. It needs to be a top priority. Always with all prayer. So when when does that mean we should pray, Sister Linda? That word always in the Greek means always. <laughs> Perpetually, all the time. When you're driving down the road, when you're sitting still, whenever the, whenever somebody's in your mind, just start praying under your breath if you have to. You don't, you can't, you just, you don't just get out of praying because you're at work. Pray all day long. Stay in an attitude of prayer all day long is what what he's saying. Let it be a priority and supplication in the Spirit. And that means basically at every season, constantly interceding with every form of prayer at all times. That sounds like a lot. That sounds like he's telling us we got to pray a lot. Yes. He is. And watching there, too, with all perseverance. When I hear the word perseverance, what, what do you think of when you hear the word perseverance? Yeah, you don't give up. You're not giving up. You're not just quitting because you fall down one time. Perseverance is just you keep pressing, you keep pressing, keep pushing, keep getting back up, right? And watching there, too, with all perseverance and supplication for all saints, and then Paul says this, and for me. Paul's saying, keep praying for me. Why? That the that utterance may be given unto me from God, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Pray for me that I will say what God tells me to say with the anointing that he wants it to be said with. That's what he's saying. For which I am an ambassador in bonds. I'm not my own, is what Paul is saying there. I'm bought with a price. I'm an ambassador in bonds. I'm, he's in charge and I'm not. That therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Or you could say, as the Holy Ghost leads, regardless of the results or the outcome, whether in prison or not, persecuted or not. So if that applies to Paul, does that apply to us? Because we're we're ministers. He said that when we when we read that the key scripture for this whole lesson. We're, who's Paul and who's Apollos? They're just ministers, just like you. So we're we're we don't get out of this. 
So we can, we're going to have to pray that God will give us boldness to speak what he's telling us to say, regardless of the outcome. And is everything you're going to say to every individual that, that you feel like God's leading you to, is it, is it always going to be received with joy and gladness and everything's just going to go all right and nobody's going to argue with you or hit you or spit on you or any of that kind of stuff? Is that how it's going to happen? No. It'd be nice if everybody was just really nice and say, I don't know where you've been all my life, but I'm so glad you talked to me. But they all don't say that. They don't. That missionary that was here took him five years to reach that lawyer. And I'm sure the first three and a half years or so, he, he wasn't get, making much headway, but he was still yet going. He was still pursuing that guy. He was still going in there and playing chess with him, just loving him. There's no time frame. I know that the time is short, but if, even if you're in the middle of trying to reach somebody and the Lord comes, at least you were busy doing it. And Second Corinthians ten three through five. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war. We do walk in the flesh. We don't war after the flesh, but we do walk in the flesh. We do every day. Can't help it. The alternative to not walking in the flesh is you don't get to look down at the daisies anymore. Right? That's right. Looking up at the roots now. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. There's that word carnal again. He was calling them carnal, wasn't he? Weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. Not mighty through me. Not mighty through my pastor. Mighty through God. To the pulling down of strongholds. Mindsets. Things that people have stuck in their mind, preconceived ideas and notions about the that animal that you keep talking about, the spaghetti monster. <laughs> there, but there's that's that's funny. But there's people that have preconceived ideas in their head. I did, didn't you, Brother Terry? We all thought we had it all together. We all thought we knew everything we needed to know about God, and that was it. That, that was all she wrote. Until one day, something happened, and we went. There's something I'm missing, something real big I'm missing. Casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. There's a lot of stuff today in people's minds, strongholds that's exalting itself against anything to do with God. And bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. There's one preacher that said people that are lost and people that are blind don't know they're blind and they don't know they're lost. And you can try to impress them with your enticing words of men's wisdom and all of your Bible knowledge. And you can try to impress them with all of your smooth talk. You can even try to impress them and buy them lunch and do all those things in the natural. But ultimately, that blindness is not going to come off of them until you pray. Acts 26, 12 through 18. Paul's talking.